If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. But what if you could upgrade your nine to five? That's what today's guest proposes. By hitching his cart to a popular software product, he's been able to accelerate his earning power, taking a fast track to six figures. And ultimately, this is the side hustle part, scaling back to just 18 hours a week while still booking $225,000 worth of consulting work last year. I mean, this is not an uncommon strategy. We've heard from guests following a similar path with Asana and QuickBooks, SWAS, it's called, the software with a service. And the software in focus today is the number one CRM, customer relationship management software in the world, and that's Salesforce. There's a huge ecosystem of Salesforce customers, those being businesses really of all sizes that use the software to organize and manage the back end of their sales efforts. And on the other side, there's this community, this ohana of Salesforce professionals who serve that audience and earn up to $230 an hour doing so. And they can do it remotely. They can do it on their own terms. So to help me walk through what it takes to get started in this world is a Sign Hustle Show listener and one of those Salesforce professionals, Brad Rice. You can find him on LinkedIn. You can find him on YouTube. We're going to link those resources up for you in the show notes at sidehustlenation.com slash Brad. But Brad has also joined forces with Jonathan Mendonca from Choose FI to put together a free five-day Salesforce challenge where you can learn more and see if this move is right for you. That's at sidehustlenation.com slash Salesforce, which is an affiliate link if you decide to buy their paid product. Appreciate the support there. And while I'm impressed with Brad's story, of course, I've been really impressed with the results that they're delivering for their students. This is a side hustle or a career shift I think you should know about. Brad's story starts maybe in a similar position to yours today, not knowing what Salesforce was, but taking the opportunity in front of him and running with it. I'll be back after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. I grew up on a small cattle farm and knew very little about technology. My parents weren't tech people or anything like that. We were all just, you know, a farm family, but they did uh, want me to go to college. So I got a bachelor's of economics from the University of West Georgia. And from there graduated and thought I was going to be some kind of financial advisor or something like this and found that I was not going to do any of that because it's not as easy as just walking out and asking for a job because you have a four-year degree. So I was hit with the real world pretty quickly, like a lot of people are. And I was applying for pretty much anything and everything. And I was I was very fortunate to have been given an interview for 
a junior Salesforce administrator role at a local electronic health records company. I had no idea what Salesforce was. I had no idea what a junior administrator was. And I knew that they paid a salary and that I met the qualifications and I was going to do my best. So, so that's what I did. You know, I spent about a year there, made about $40,000 a year. My next job I took, like I mentioned, a year later, they paid me $65,000 a year. Again, as a senior administrator now. Now that you had a year under your belt, you were senior. Yeah. And we can talk about that too, how fast the trajectory is in the space. But uh, yeah, a year now you're a senior, make 65000 Okay. A year later, I was still a senior administrator, but for now a consulting company. So I moved jobs again a year later and made $90,000 plus bonuses. Wow. And very quickly after that, that was really nose to the grindstone, got a lot of talent quickly from working at a consulting firm. And I then pivoted one more time to another consulting firm who paid 110,000 plus bonuses. And the deal with that was I no longer had to travel for work. So no going to client offices, no coming into any offices. And they gave me 110,000 plus bonuses to work there. And that's about the time, you know, I think a year or two after that, I'd been in the space for maybe four or five years at that point. My daughter was on the way. So we were pregnant. I had a daughter coming. I didn't like the idea of working these 40 plus, you know, maybe even 50 plus every now and then hours per week. So I decided, you, you know, I think I'm going to try to uh, figure out if I can get a part-time role or some kind of side hustle consulting role. And so I sort of, I built it up and I, I didn't have any guidance and I didn't know what to do, but I started sourcing my own clients and figured out how to scale it up. And long story short, I, I quit a job making 110,000 plus bonuses. And uh, last year, 2020, I averaged about 18 hours a week working and just finished my taxes. So this is fresh. I, I did $225,000 in specifically Salesforce consulting work last year, working 18 hours a week. Yep. Wow. Is that kind of career trajectory common where if you can kind of continually scale up your skills and salary, you can kind of climb to this very healthy uh, income pretty quickly? I'll say what is common is the trajectory I talked about but beforehand. Now, some people it takes longer for because they don't understand the complete ecosystem. So they don't know that, oh, if I go to a consulting firm, I can make more money. Oh, if I work for companies in the specific you know, specialty that I can make more money. But very normal is start a role making somewhere between about sixty dollars and $80,000 as starting salary for a Salesforce professional. And then from there, usually within the year, you can sort of level up and make eighty to $90,000. And typically, I say three years is the hump. Once you get to three years of experience, you should be making somewhere between hundred dollars to $120,000 plus bonuses. And most people with more than five years experience are making somewhere between $130,000 to $150,000. So that is the typical trajectory. Okay. And to take it freelance was to say, these are the skills that I've learned over the last several years on the job. But my employer is obviously taking a cut of the client work that we're getting. So if I could cut out the middleman, in a sense, I could go direct and build up my own business that way. Was that the thinking or the, the process there? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I had a catalyst, right? I, I had my daughter on the way. I wasn't willing to accept working these 50, 60 hour weeks and seeing her from you know, 7 p.m. forward. I wanted something different. I decided I would be willing to take a huge pay cut and just take a part-time job and was very fortunate to not have to do that by building clients. And I think for a little while, I probably 
you know, made $60,000 right in there for maybe two or three months while I built my client base. But once I got my client base in place, it, it sort of layered on and leveled up very quickly as far as, you know, income goes. But yeah, that was the goal. It was to say, I think it's a lot of things, you know, that you talk about. It's different techniques and strategies where you say, hey, the status quo says you're supposed to do this because you get healthcare and you get benefits and you get a 401k plan. And and so you should just do this because that's what everyone else does. So it must be the right thing to do. And I, I think I just looked at it and said, I don't really care what everyone else is doing. Like there's a certain lifestyle that I want to live. And I'm not saying that I deserve it, but I am saying I'm going to go out there and try to get it. Let me see what I can do to make it a reality. And if I fail, then I can just go back to making 150K a year. But if I succeed, then I can work part time and make far more than that. So worst case scenario was falling back into an excellent career with excellent pay. I love that. The analysis of, okay, what's the what's the realistic worst case scenario? I can always go get another Salesforce job. Like it's not the end of the world. And I like this holistic view of the lifestyle that you're after. Like, do I need to keep climbing the corporate ladder? Do I need to keep working these long shifts, these long weeks and traveling all over the place? Like, I think there's a way to scale this back and still have more than enough to support my family and live the lifestyle that I like. I have a question on, like, who do you think this is best for? You said, I didn't have a technical background, but I learned kind of as I went. What kind of skills would you put at the top of the list for somebody considering this career change? The person who's a good fit for this is the person who, it takes on a lot of different forms, but the baseline is understanding why you want something different. And if you have that understanding of why, like for me, it was my daughter. And if you can find like, you know what, I have grandchildren or I have aging parents or I have children that I want to spend time with or well, whatever it is, if you have a strong why and you say, you know what, I don't know what Salesforce is. Maybe I've heard of it. Maybe I've never heard of it, but I have a desire and I understand exactly why I have the desire to make this a reality for myself. If you have that and it's strong and you can hold on to it, this is for you. And the reason I say that is because I've worked with, and we can talk more about this later. I've worked with thousands of people at this point to help them start careers in the Salesforce space. And I have seen everything from part-time Walmart employee that makes $17,000 a year, lands a remote job in the Salesforce space, making $70,000 a year. Just last week, there's an individual, he, he won't mind me sharing his name, Hugh Richardson. He drives uh, 18 wheelers for you know a company basically just transporting goods in a semi-truck. He is your typical truck driver, this burly guy, always wearing a tank top and doesn't sound like the most technically savvy person in the world, but he sat in the back of his semi-truck in the sleeper cab. And while he was on the road 80 plus hours a week, he was transitioning into a Salesforce career. It took him three months. And now he is, you know, I talked to him yesterday and he's turning his truck in next week because he is starting a job as a Salesforce professional, making more money than he ever did as a truck driver, even after 15 years of tenure in the business. People want to think, oh, I need a college degree to make this happen. On the contrary, a lot of the people we work with, you know, or that I've been able to help are people who got a college degree and then they walked out into the real world and realized, oh my gosh, like where are the jobs that are supposed to pay me all the money? I feel like I'm starting right where I was out of high school with an extra line on my resume. And a hundred grand in debt. Exactly, exactly. And so 
On the contrary of, do I need a tech background? Absolutely not. Do I need a degree? Absolutely not. If you have those things, does it give you a leg up? Of course it does. Like anything you can add to your, you know, your talent stack or your skill set or whatever it is to make you a little bit more marketable, of course it's beneficial. But the biggest skills, going back to your actual question, the biggest skills you can have are going to be the soft skills of knowing your why, being determined, ready to focus. And I'll say, this is a skill that, that people struggle to have. It is being willing to accept guidance when you don't know the right answer. And that is much easier said than done. Being able to take advice from people that you know have had success when you don't know how to do it. Don't assume you know how to do everything and be willing to take advice from people. But the actual technical skills that you'll need are, you know, if you're the person who's constantly leaning on other people, like your printer breaks and you can't get it to connect back to the internet and you call everybody else to come do it for you, then you're probably not a problem solver. You're probably not ready to be the person that everyone else is coming to, to say, hey, we need help with Salesforce, this tool that you're going to be using. And you're supposed to be the expert. Other people are going to need to come to you and you're going to need to be the one to take initiative and say, yeah, I either know how to do that or I know where to find the resources in order to solve that problem. And I am your go-to for problem solving. So I think if you're someone who's driven and you consider yourself a problem solver, if you consider yourself, you know, process oriented, you sort of think through things and you understand how to go from point A to point D, then I think this is absolutely something you should at least take a look at. I'm not saying dedicate your life to being a Salesforce professional, but just take a, take a look at it and see if it's something that, you know, might interest you. It is interesting because it's a career that I never heard of, never really considered until, you know, you reached out probably a year ago. I feel, it feels like it was a long time ago before we finally made this happen. At least in the in the Bay Area, it's hard to avoid. Like there's the giant Salesforce Tower in San Francisco. You would see the sign on the building getting off, I want to say like the uh, 92 and the 101, like getting on to, you know, going to SFO. Clearly a company that has a big presence. And is it just enterprise companies that buy the software or license the software to help run their sales teams? Like who is hiring you as a consultant who's hiring Salesforce pros either in-house or kind of on this freelance uh, remote basis? Yeah. So the people that are hiring us is not, it's not Salesforce. And, and let me also say that a common upfront misconception is that being a Salesforce professional is not a sales role. It's a back-end technical role. I know that probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but just for anyone who's listening and says, I don't want to do sales. You know, that's not me. It's not sales. So don't worry about that. So you can keep listening and turn the volume up. So what it is, is that Salesforce has customers globally. I think they're right at about 150,000 customers globally. And to your point, well, who are these people? Who are their customers? Who needs to use Salesforce? Well, it all depends. So the funny thing is, it is the most popular CRM, and that's customer relationship management tool. Um, so it's basically how do you organize your business behind the scenes instead of using spreadsheets and five different pieces of software, cloudware, whatever it is, use one tool, Salesforce. And it organizes your business all into one place. So you can keep up with who are your prospects you're hoping to turn into customers, who are your customers, who are your you know, people who need more support because they don't understand their products or they just need some additional help. Uh, what kind of sales do you have in the pipeline? 
how many sales did you do last month, last year, last quarter, all these kind of metrics, plus operating your entire business out of one place. So who needs that? And to answer the question, it's really any business. Nonprofits are extremely popular with Salesforce because Salesforce is free for nonprofits, up to 10 users. So as long as you just want to use 10 individuals on the back end of your company using Salesforce, you can do that totally free. And it's the most like elite edition of Salesforce possible that they give away for free to nonprofits. So it's extremely popular in that industry. Then, I mean, and you go all the way from small businesses, mom and pop shops, you know, in your local community, you go to, you know, mid-sized businesses uh, that might be, you know, local restaurant chains that have four or five spots. It might be, you know, tax offices in your local city, all the way up to companies like Coca-Cola, Amazon, pretty much any large enterprise company. I think the last I heard was 85% of the Fortune 100 companies use Salesforce. So it's really anyone and everyone. And the reason no one knows about it is because it's on the back end of the process. So customers never see it. But when you work in these businesses, you realize, hmm, pretty much everyone uses Salesforce and no one knows about it. Interesting. So 85% of the Fortune 100, this is kind of the back end management system for a lot of the revenue side of the business if it's helping with the customer relationship management, like the people who pay you. This is an interesting space to play in. Now, if you're this local nonprofit or this local mom and pop who has bought the Salesforce software to help run your business, you're probably trying to figure it out yourself, or maybe you don't have the budget to hire somebody to help with it. And if you're Coke or you're Amazon or you're 85% of the Fortune 100, you probably have your whole like dedicated in-house team that is trained and that's their sole task is to like, you know, run the software or use the software as part of their daily job. Is there a sweet spot for who is hiring you as a consultant, as a freelancer? Yeah. When you're in the freelance space specifically, you know, the nonprofit industry is actually one of the most profitable industries. And it's a, it's an interesting, you know, sort of situation there where one of the tactics for entering into the freelance space, and this is something that I've done, is reaching out to nonprofits and volunteering your time and saying, hey, I would love to do this very specific thing. So you're not going to say, hey, I'll do 10 hours a week forever. You come in and say, hey, I see that you have some needs and I would like to dedicate the next 20 or 30 hours over the next you know month to help you get up and running, to make sure that your people are trained, to make sure you understand how to use this you know, platform in the best way possible for your company. And I would like to give you some time there. And you draw that line in the sand. You say, hey, we're going to try to accomplish this or we're going to try to put in 20 or 30 hours. And then once that commitment is complete, you sort of say, hey, I enjoyed working with you. I had a blast. I love the mission that your company's on. I personally feel committed to your mission because of XYZ in my life. And you form that relationship and that connection. And then you say, you know, but I can't do this forever for free. As you guys know, like I have a family and I have things that I need to do. Uh, but I do have a nonprofit rate. And the going rate in the Salesforce space is for consulting firms is somewhere between about 170 to 200 and you know, $30 an hour. So if you keep those numbers in mind, you can have a nonprofit rate at $75 to $100 an hour, and that's extremely discounted to any rate that they're going to get anywhere else. And if you do quick math, if you make $100 an hour working 20 hours a week, it's $100,000 a year. So very quickly, you can see how even with simple math and sort of a simple process, you can, number one, working for nonprofits allows you to help a company. 
it allows you to do free work to get started. So that's very low responsibility, very low stress. And then if you do a great job and you knock it out of the park, you can convert these nonprofits to paying clients. And now you're getting your business off the ground, building your resume, polishing your skills and becoming a Salesforce professional. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. And that's common in, in a lot of spaces. I got to do this free work up front to kind of get in my reps, build my portfolio, and then either use that to get paying gigs or even with the same company, the same organization. So that is helpful. Thanks for sharing that. What's the day-to-day work like? Like if I've never touched the software before, I've got to figure out first, you know, what it is, how it works. But like, what do you, you know, okay, when you fire up your laptop in the morning, what do you do? Where the business process piece comes into this, and this is why I said earlier, you might be a good fit if you enjoy process automations or sort of thinking about the way businesses function. And what they do is we could take a very simple process, like maybe someone who hasn't automated Salesforce at all, they might get a new lead that comes into the system. They fill out a form online. I'd love to hear more. And they fill out the information and then somebody calls them, you know, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, and they put their information in the system and then they come back and try to call them back tomorrow if they remember or whatever. But in a very automated system, they have a form they fill out online. They might have five questions. Based on those five questions, it might say, how aware are you of our product? How much money are you willing to spend in this space? How much time do you have to dedicate to whatever it is? And those are qualifying questions. And when you ask those questions, Salesforce accepts that form and it puts the information in the system automatically. And it tells you right away if this person is considered qualified to buy your product. And if yes, they are automatically put into your pipeline as a potential opportunity. And that's someone you want to call right away. And you get them on the phone. And as soon as you close one that deal, so for instance, you help them select which products they want. And you say, okay, they're going to buy. And they gave me their credit card info and we got them processed. And uh, so now what? Well, automatically Salesforce notices you put in credit card information and it actually you know, posted. So they are now a customer. Our new customer process is to send them these three informational emails, automatically get them set up in some customer community or some type of tool that they need to have access to. We're going to automatically email, maybe it's a, an account manager to say, hey, you've, congratulations, you've got a new customer in your territory and you know you should follow up with them and make sure that they have everything they need. And all of that happens automatically. So that's your role is to listen to people's needs as a company and to take those needs and make Salesforce do it all automatically, basically. That sounds fun. It is. Because it's similar to like working in active campaign, which would be, I guess, my CRM in a certain sense is like, okay, what automation should fire after somebody takes this action? It uses a lot of brain power for me. I don't know if I'm like the greatest at it, but it definitely is a cool thing to see like, okay, the inner workings of how different parts of the business should interact with each other and what automations you can fire. Exactly. Yep. And that's it. It's logical thinking. And once you've done that for three different companies, five different companies at this point in my career, you know, probably 200 different companies, it just becomes second nature. You understand what it is. You understand what the pitfalls are and you're able to act so quickly that to the customers and the Salesforce clients, you are a magician who's doing all these things because you've just seen it enough that you can jog through it so quickly. And it is fun. It, it is fun to think through these processes and figure out how to do them best. And you improve the lives of the employees at companies. You improve the efficiency of entire companies. And it's amazing to see it come to life. 
When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Okay. So I'm on indeed.com now looking for the job route rather than the freelance route. And I see Salesforce data analyst, senior Salesforce developer, data quality analyst, junior Salesforce administrator. And some of these say, hey, these are local. Some of them say these are remote. Some of them give an hourly rate and some of them don't. Are there any certifications that I need to have before I say, yeah, I'd, I'll take a remote gig. This one, in this case, like 80 bucks an hour. That sounds pretty sweet. So certification wise, Salesforce has quite a few certifications. I believe there's 30 plus different certifications now. But the obvious route to take, like if you are wanting to get into Salesforce, the place you need to start is with what's called the Salesforce Administrator Certification. And this is your foot in the door baseline certification that basically tells clients that I'm not above and beyond the most valuable expert in the world, but I'm dedicated to Salesforce. I'm willing to put in the effort and I've done so enough that I've passed this exam and I've gotten this certification. And so now Salesforce has accredited me with understanding the fundamentals of Salesforce to where if I were to get in to your system, I'm not going to destroy everything. I at least know how to navigate around and improve things. It doesn't make me consultant level 10 plus years expert, but it does mean I can get in behind the scenes and I, I know what I'm doing within reason. Okay. And that's similar to, you know, QuickBooks probably has their own certification Google Ads has their own, like, I'm a Google Ads certified pro, whatever they call it. It's just to be able to say to potential employers and potential clients, I have the stamp of approval from the software itself. 
So there's one more reason why you can trust me. Yep, that's exactly right. You're you're building trust and that's how you get interviews. And and then of course you need to knock those interviews down to get the job. But yeah, the certification is I would consider it the first roadblock to being taken seriously in the Salesforce space is get at least one certification. What's a typical timeline to study and get that done? I would say if you're willing to study for the certification exam about 10 hours a week, you could probably knock it down in a couple of months. Is the most common path to go from learning about this to getting this Salesforce administrator certification and to going out and getting kind of a you know junior level administrator job at 40, 50, 60 grand a year? Yeah. So the most common path is go get your admin certification, improve your personal branding to make sure that, you know, with, with a certification, that's great and all, but no one knows about it. If you don't have personal branding on spots like LinkedIn, where you can showcase your skills and what you've done before and those kind of things, and then say, Hey, I've got the certification. I'm super passionate about Salesforce for these reasons. And then people are kind of aware of you. And so when you're applying for jobs, they can come look at your profile and see what you're about. And then they can send you a message on LinkedIn and communicate with you. So having your personal branding in place is key to keeping the ball rolling. Like if someone's going to look at your resume, then they need to go look at your LinkedIn profile. And then once they feel compelled by your LinkedIn profile, they might hop on a phone interview with you. So what's the next thing you need to be able to do? Hold a quality conversation about Salesforce in a phone interview or a Zoom interview or a Skype interview. And that's really the process. It's get certified, get out in front of these individuals, apply for jobs, improve your personal branding so they take you seriously, do well in interviews and land these jobs. And the only correction I would make in that process is that I would say starting salary, if you accept anything under about you know $55,000 a year, you're really getting lowballed. On average, I would say what we see is somewhere between uh, right around sixty-five to 75000 for your, your starting role. Okay. So yeah, definitely a potential career upgrade, depending on what you're making today for a few months of study and learning this new software tool. Not even new, it's been around for a long time. And, and I'll say too, on top of that, you know, I, I think hearing, okay, sixty-five to 75000 there might be some people who say, well, I already make $90,000. So why would I do this? And I would say, take a serious look and like, be real with yourself. How much are you going to be making three years from now? How much are you going to be making five years from now? Are you getting $20,000 raises each year or are you getting 5% raises each year? And if you can be real with yourself, you can see that an upfront investment on the career transition, you might make 70,000 year one, and then you'll make 85,000 year two. And like I said, once you get over that three-year hump, you'll make six figures. And we're talking about, you know, a lot of times you're in office for that first role because they need to gain your trust or you need to gain their trust. But after that, I mean, I worked in office for the first uh, nine months of my career and I've never been in an office again. We're talking the last 10 plus years of my life. I've worked fully remote. So when you think about, well, I want to spend time with family or I want to be a digital nomad. I want to travel. I want to be able to have more control of the hours I work and you know those kind of things. Well, I think you're looking at it. Plus, probably in the next three to five years, you're looking at a significant pay raise, unless you're already in a you know sturdy mid six figure income career. Let's talk a little bit more about the freelance side, the marketing side of that. I'm curious what has worked for you to connect with potential clients. Yeah, so there's a few things that go into 
finding your own clients. And we talked a little bit about you know, volunteering your way in the door is one way to do that. There are other ways, of course. Um, I have a few different strategies that I've applied throughout my career. A lot of times I'll look at full-time job postings. Like you mentioned, you pulled up Indeed.com. You can look at LinkedIn Jobs. You're going to find that there aren't very many part-time roles or freelance roles posted. And the reason for this is because culturally in the Salesforce ecosystem, most companies feel that the Salesforce administrator, the Salesforce professional is a full-time position. And most employees want it to be a full-time position, like we've talked about before. But given the audience we're talking to right now, I would say that that's, that's not necessarily true. So what you can do is you go to these full-time job postings and you look at the job requirements and you say, hmm, I think I can do all of these things, but I don't want a full-time job. So your average person who doesn't think outside the box would say, well, now I need to close out of this browser and go feel sorry for not being able to find what I wanted today. But that's not really how things work. If you listen to the standard narrative, yeah, that is how things work. But if you're actually going to design your own future, then you're not going to listen to that. So what I started doing was reaching out to companies that I liked the job description. I sort of liked what the company was doing. I felt like I understood their product and I could talk to them in a more engaged conversation right off the bat. And so I said, you know, I'm going to start reaching out to these companies hiring for full-time roles, and I'm going to pitch them on why I can do it as a consultant, why I can do it in a part-time capacity, and how can I convince them that that's possible. And so what I do is, uh, and I've done this three times now in the last, I guess in the last five years now, I haven't done it in a while because I've been happy with my clients over the last two or three years, but early on, I did this and landed three clients this way. And so what I did is I said, hey, you're hiring for this full-time role. You're willing to pay $90,000 a year. I would like to do this 20 hours a week. I'll do everything you need done. So I'm going to do exactly what the full-time person was going to do, but I'm going to do it in 20 hours a week. And you're only going to have to pay me $50,000 a year to get all the same work done, except for I'm only on the hook 20 hours a week for you. And they would go, well, how is that possible? And I, look, let, let's have a meeting. I'm happy to come into the office. Let's schedule a Zoom call, whatever you need. Let me have 30 minutes of your time and I'll tell you exactly how I'm going to do it. And I'd say probably 20% of the time they would oblige, right? So it's not, you know, one and done. You've got to put yourself out there. And they would say, okay, all right, let's get our team on the phone. How is this going to happen? And I would say, okay, let me describe to you your last Salesforce professional who worked for you. The day starts at eight. They were here between 8.30 and nine. The day ends at five. They were really wrapping up and chit-chatting starting around 4.30. You just lost at least an hour and an hour and a half of an eight-hour day. They would go for lunch from 11.30 to one. So now you've lost another half hour. And even when they came into the office in the morning, they would still go grab their water, make coffee, kind of hang out and get their computer booted up, talk to some coworkers, uh, maybe do a few things, go to a few meetings, but you'd always see them sort of, you know, chatting somewhere and they might be checking their personal emails, taking a personal call outside, all these things that go into being a W-2 full-time employee who's going to get paid no matter how much work they get done today. So here's the difference. That person was probably only working for you four to five hours a day. So I'm not actually telling you that I'm somehow far superior to anyone you've ever seen. I'm actually telling you I'm exactly the same, but I'm willing to save you money by only having you pay me for the hours I'm putting in as a consultant. And so what I did is I would say, hey, look, 
I know this might sound unconventional. I know this might not be exactly what you're looking for. Give me a two-week trial. Let me do this for two weeks. I'll give you a rate. We'll do 20 hours a week for the next two weeks. If you hate me, all you have to do is look at the applications that came in over the last two weeks. If you love me, you just saved forty dollars to $50,000 and you're getting the exact same job done. What's to lose? And when you can make that pitch, you can turn all these full-time job postings into your next client. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Is there such thing as a typical contract in terms of length, like three months, six months, indefinite? It depends. Like a lot of freelancers, um, to me, they shoot themselves in the foot because they're like, oh, let's do a project and I'll quote the project and figure out all the requirements and tell them how many hours it's going to take and then quote them a price. And it's like, it's such a pain. And that's like the sales engineering or like the discovery phase. And it can eat a lot of your time, especially when they say no. And then you're like, oh man, I just spent a lot of time on this. So I always advise what's referred to in our space as a, a support agreement or a managed services agreement. And that's your contract. And typical is six to 12 months. And you might say, hey, I'm going to do 20 hours a week for the next six months. Uh, you'll pay me monthly. I'll send you an invoice. This is what you should expect to see. If you come under on your 20 hours, I still get paid. If you go over on your 20 hours, you get an overage fee. And so it's a win-win for you as the consultant. And I just send them a weekly status report and say, hey, you, you had 20 hours this month, you used seven this week. That means you're tracking a little heavy. Let's just be aware of that. And I'll see you guys Monday. And you handle it in that way. So you've always got things for six to 12 months. But what I can tell you is I've never had a client cancel on me because there is so much demand in the Salesforce space, it is impossible for them to find quality professionals to come work for them. So I have canceled on plenty of clients and I can tell you they beg you not to leave because they don't want to deal with this process again of onboarding you. And like we've talked about throughout this call, you have to understand how the business functions from marketing to qualifying, to selling, to supporting, to upselling. There are all these processes you have to understand about the business. So once they've taught that to you, they do not want to go through that process again with a new person. So once you've got your foot in the door, as long as you're doing good work and you're doing ethically and morally the right thing for the company and serving the client, they will never let you go. You'll have to rip yourself away from them the day that you're ready to transition. What do you attribute that to, this mismatch between the apparent demand and supply of qualified help to, to fulfill that? I think Salesforce broke the game. When they came in, there was very little competition in the CRM space. There were your big names like Microsoft Dynamics, and there were some smaller names like Infusionsoft, but Salesforce came in and they actually were the first company to have what they call the app exchange. And now it's very common. You'll say, oh, well, Apple has the app store. And Google has Google Play or whatever. And it turns out Salesforce had that model far before anyone else did. And that model is impressive because why is it impressive? Like most people know if you have a smartphone and you open it up and you never download an app, the phone is kind of, you know, it just is what it is. You can send some text messages, browse the internet and make a phone call. But when you layer on apps, that's what turns your phone into an extremely powerful device that people are willing to pay a thousand plus dollars for. And that's exactly the model that Salesforce incorporated, where they were one of the first companies to say, look, we are going to work with these third party developers to have these incredible apps that you can use Salesforce as a healthcare company. You can use Salesforce as a financial and banking company, as a nonprofit. Any industry can use Salesforce, manufacturing, you name it. 
everyone uses Salesforce. And it's because they have this app bolt-on sort of situation where you can take Salesforce out of the box and then make it whatever you need it to be for your business. And that's where they absolutely destroyed everyone else. So what happened is you can go look at their stock price, which will tell you a little bit about their revenue and how they've done with sales. And you can effectively attribute that to new customers over time. And when you look at it, it's just on an absolute upwards tear. And so they've been able to add customers like crazy, but adding a customer is a pretty quick turnaround compared to convincing society that this is a new skill that should be learned as a career choice. So they've been able to take their customer count and put it through the roof, but those customers need to be supported by quality talent. And that's where things have not gone well. And recently, I'll say in the last five years, they've been trying to close that gap. So they have Trailhead. Uh, which is their training platform, 100% free. If you want to go get trained online with Salesforce, go to trailhead.com and you can set up an account, start training for free, no strings attached. And why do they do that totally for free? And they put tens of millions of dollars into that platform because their customers need support from quality employees. So they're trying to facilitate getting more quality employees into the space. And if you go look at it, it's, you know, there's a lot of, it used to be harder to get certifications. You used to have to maintain them three or four times a year. You used to have to charge a fee every year to keep your certification. They have just knocked down all of those barriers to entry. They're effectively begging people to become Salesforce professionals. That's really uh, an interesting model with the, uh, I mean, similar to Shopify and all the Shopify apps that you can, you know, add to your store to, you know, customize it, make it what you need. And your smartphone example is is interesting too. So it makes it a software with broad appeal versus like, oh, I'm going to serve this one tiny little niche. It's like, well, you could potentially have clients. And I recommend, obviously, if you're going to go the freelance route, maybe start with a niche. Say, well, I'm going to focus on nonprofits or tax professionals or people in the financials versus. Say so like, oh, just raising your hand and say, I'm the, you know, go-to Salesforce administrator for every, for everybody. It's like, well, you know, maybe specialize a little bit, but this is kind of an interesting, an interesting one. Do you project with the investments that they've made into Trailhead and, you know, increasing the number of trainers, like does the demand, does that mismatch between supply and demand go away over time? Or do you think, hey, there's still opportunity as side hustlers to break in or make a career change here? Will the gap eventually be bridged? I mean, I like to think so. I mean, I like to think that they will find a way to support all of their customers with quality employees. And whether those employees be full-time or freelance or part-time or whatever it is, what I will say is Trailhead's now been around about five or six years and we've seen the gap broadening still because the pace of new customers is not keeping up with the pace of new professionals. And the, the gap is just getting broader and broader. And you can you can see that through the fact that we're talking about starting salaries of sixty to eighty thousand dollars. We're talking about capping out at 150K after, you know, five years. We're talking about freelancers, consulting firms charging rates of 175, $225 an hour, and even freelancers like myself charging $100 to $150 an hour regularly. So when you see rates that high, it's because there's a su supply and demand issue. And we are in such high demand that even if we got into a, and this is what I try to tell my friends who are also Salesforce professionals, and they're like, Brad, stop talking about this stuff. You're going to ruin it for all of us. <laughs> and it's like, don't share the secrets. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I'm like, hey, look, 
what if I somehow had a big enough impact, which I'm not arrogant enough to think that I ever could, but what if I somehow was able to impact this gap? What would happen there? Like we might have to charge rates closer to 75 to $100 an hour instead of 150. We might have to accept starting salaries of 50 to 60,000 instead of 60 to 80,000. We might cap out at 130K a year plus bonuses instead of 150K. Like I think it's okay. Even if the gap gets closed, I think we could all stand to make a little bit less and still be far above the average household income. I think there's going to be room in the space for a long time. Yeah. What's interesting is I'm seeing some of the testimonials and I've heard from some of your students in the Salesforce challenge, which is at sidehustlenation.com slash Salesforce. It's a free five-day challenge. You can go kind of learn a little bit more about what it takes to get started here. But some of these testimonials are like, no, within just a few months during a pandemic, I got this new job. I had no previous qualifications in this industry. And now I'm making way more than I was before. And it's like, okay, it's, it's just, it was something that was not on my radar. And, and now that it is, it's, it's a really an interesting model. And for full disclosure, like Salesforce probably isn't the only software that you could do something similar with, it just happens to be the one that we were kind of using through this lens today. This is cool. So I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing this stuff. Is there anything that you're working on? You got your 19 hours a week thing. You got your four-year-old. What What's going on? What are you excited about this year? Yeah. So I, I think for me, the pandemic definitely put a, uh, a stoppage to a lot of our international travels. So we've been doing a lot more, you know, local traveling and local as in the United States and just getting sort of more aware of what's around us. And yeah, obviously I'm leaning into being a father and making sure I'm there for my four-year-old. And I do have a passion for the Salesforce space and, and really it's people more than it is Salesforce. And Salesforce, to your point, is just an avenue to change your life if that's something you're interested in doing from a career perspective. And so, I mean, I am thoroughly enjoying spending time with our members with the Salesforce community and just helping people better understand the space and having conversations like this. So in the near future, I, I plan to continue leaning into what we're doing here and just continuing the outreach of letting people know, you know, there's this thing that's happening that a lot of people aren't aware of. And it's a great time to hop in. You bet. It reminds me of the loan signing side hustle in a lot of ways, which is probably the one that I get an outsized response on, an outsized number of feedback from students who say like, oh yeah, I got my notary commission and now I'm doing these loan signings and I'm making sometimes thousands of dollars a month. And I was like, this is a side hustle that I thought I was pretty well versed in this universe. Never heard of, even though, you know, of course, yeah, we had a notary officer like, you know, come over to our house to sign these papers. Like, oh, of course, that was probably her side hustle. Like, okay, great. And it sounds, it's similar. Like, whereas it was not on my radar, but that doesn't make it any less real. And I think you've proven both through yourself and now through your students that, yeah, some people are seeing some really intriguing and, and pretty quick changes, pretty quick success with this. So again, sidehustlenation.com slash Salesforce is where you find Bradley's five-day free challenge on kind of an introduction to the software with some guided step-by-step training there over email and video. This is a collaboration project with Jonathan Minton, so from Choose FI, who you guys know from the archives. So again, sidehustlenation.com slash Salesforce. We'll also link up Bradley's YouTube channel and the trailhead.com resource that he mentioned as well. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Whether you're interested in what we talked about today or something totally different, and 
what's stopping you is like, I don't know how to start a business. I don't know what would happen if I failed, or I don't know what would happen if, you know, if I take a step out of my comfort zone. And I would just say, looking at a lot of these things, you know, we, we have thousand dollar smartphones and thousand dollar TVs and tens of thousands of dollars in our cars and things like this. In the world that I live in, where you can create courses online or you can start YouTube channels or podcasts or really anything you want from an entrepreneurial standpoint, if you had a thousand dollars to invest, you can pretty well get a company off the ground. So if you would just not buy the next smartphone or not buy the next TV and just take a bet on yourself, I think you would be thrilled to find the opportunities that are available because that's what I did. And I was scared to death to start an LLC, to start my own company, to think that I, you know, little old Bradley could go out and start a company doing Salesforce freelance consulting. And I thought there's no way you'd have to be a guru to do that. And I put it off for probably three or four years. And then one day I was driving home and I realized all these landscapers have LLCs and all these plumbing companies have businesses like real businesses that are, you know, like certified and registered with the state. I can do this too. And what makes these people more qualified than I am to operate a business? I'm going to go see what it takes. And I think it was about three hours later, my business was registered. I spent my hundred bucks and I was good to go. And I had a business name and everything else. And it was so exciting. So I would just say, don't let those simple little limiting beliefs like I can't start a business because I don't know how to do that or I'm not qualified to do that. Just go start a business. Try what it is that you're passionate about and and just lean into it. Even four or five hours a week, you'd be amazed at what you can accomplish. Yeah, I like that. Take a bet on yourself. Nobody else is going to do it for you. So Brad, again, thanks so much for joining me and we'll catch up soon. All right. Thanks so much. Software with a service. This is a popular side hustle business model, staking your claim as a helpful pro in a certain software tool that you know and love. The episode with Paul Miners is one that I refer back to quite a bit. That's episode 344. Another excellent example of that on how he generates leads for Asana Consulting and Pipedrive Consulting with maybe more of a side hustle angle versus the new career angle that Brad's talking about. But the advantage of learning and specializing in Salesforce seems to be the gap that Brad talked about between the popularity of the software and the number of qualified professionals to help with it. It's that supply and demand imbalance that makes it a lucrative software to learn. And if you enjoy process thinking and breaking down businesses into step-by-step functions and automations, it honestly sounds like it could be a pretty fun, pretty challenging, and, and hopefully some rewarding work. You'll find links to all the resources mentioned in this episode at SideHustleNation.com slash Brad. So big thanks to Brad for sharing his insight into this career path. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.